it is tough to shift gears after something that's emotionally compelling like that, but that's what we've got to do now. So join with me for just a second. Lord, we do thank you for answering so many prayers. And Lord, just thinking back a few years ago when it was just so evident and clear that you were dropping Haiti Lifeline in our lap, that this was one of your calls to Lion and Lamb, that you meant us to be participators in what you're doing in Haiti, in that orphanage and with those children, and that widows and orphans, Lord, are your specialty. We thank you for the privilege that we get in participating with you in what you're doing there. And Lord, as we shift gears mentally and emotionally, help us to continue to hear from you from your word this morning, what you want for each one of us to hear. No more or less, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. This is devotional length, guys, so relax. You're not in for a 45-minute teaching this morning. We planned on this. Uh, There's a joke. It's a good news, bad news joke. Uh, There's an art gallery owner. And he says to one of his clients, an artist who has paintings in his galleries, he says, I have some good news for you and I have some bad news for you. Well, give me the good news, of course, the artist says. And so he says, well, a gentleman came into the gallery yesterday and he asked me about your paintings. He said, will those paintings increase in value after the artist dies? And I assured him they would. And he promptly bought every one of your paintings. And the guy says, well, that's, that's great. So what's the bad news, Jess? And he says, well, the bad news is that gentleman was your doctor. <laughs> okay, guys, engage the mind, the gears. We've got to roll here. Your doctor, okay, yeah. Good news and bad news. We are briefly, about 20 minutes, in a passage this morning that's a good news, bad news passage in Second Corinthians chapter 1. The good news is this. If you're a Christian, God, your Father, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comfort, that's who you're connected with through faith in Christ. The one we're connected to is the Father of all mercies, the source of all mercies, and the God of all comfort. The source of all that we can call comfort comes from God, the one we're in relationship with. That's the good news. The bad news is, in this life, you're going to need it. In this life, you're going to need it. We're in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3-7, through 7, if you have your Bible or a study sheet. Remember, this is Paul's second letter. Actually, his fourth, but second that we have to the Christians at Corinth. And he continues at verse 3 in his introduction and says, Blessed... Uh, By the way, this word's only used of God. We could also say praise. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are of our comfort. Praise God, Paul says, because though trouble in this life is flowing in, flowing over, God's comfort 
His mercy is flowing even more greatly. First to the bad news this morning, affliction and suffering. It appears that the Corinthians that Paul wrote to were quite a bit like us in our time and our culture today, which is to say they thought that once they'd come into union with Christ, they'd become Christians, suffering was over. And if you suffered, it was an indication that you weren't all you should be or that you weren't experiencing God's blessing in the way God meant you to. And Paul says, no, on the contrary, my sufferings, he says of himself, they're testimony that God has chosen me to use me, that affliction and suffering are not something Christians get out of in this life. They're actually something that Christians have more of than those in this world who don't know Christ. So affliction in verse 4, not a nice word, pressed down, compressed, sort of weighed down with trouble or adversity. Affliction here used, or it's variant, three times in these verses. The term suffering in verse 5 also used either directly or as a variant four times. So seven times in these short verses, Paul talks about affliction and suffering. Six times in this letter, Paul describes his own afflictions, shipwreck, beatings, imprisonments, uh, spiritual distress over the church, etc., etc. And 12 times in this letter, Paul talks about suffering in one venue or another. So affliction and suffering, Paul says, are part and parcel of life in this world, especially for Christians. If you're a Christian in this life, you have the, the benefit, if you will, of suffering because Jesus suffered also. So if you're a Christian in this life, in this world, you not only get regular suffering, but you get suffering or affliction in the form of persecution. So Jesus said in John 15, 20 to his disciples, a slave isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the world that rejected him, you will suffer suffering in the form of persecution. We don't experience this a lot in the West. You could talk to Christians, though, certainly in South America and Egypt, uh, thinking of current events in the Middle East, the Far East, you name it. Christians there more than we do here know that there's a certain suffering that only comes because you're a Christian. Jesus said, if you follow me, you're going to get suffering. That's part and parcel of life in a world that rejected me. In Paul's last letter of his life to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Paul, who knew a thing about it, says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So make no mistake, whoever you listen to on the TV or radio, whatever they're selling, if you're a Christian or if you're alive on this planet, you're going to get suffering and affliction. It's going to come. It's part and parcel of knowing Christ. We also get, Job says in Job 5, verse 7, man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. No one on this planet gets by without affliction and suffering. In this sin-cursed world, ruled by the God of this world who robs, kills, and destroys, that's the environment in which we live, suffering and affliction is part and parcel of life. And then doubly so for the Christian. You don't get away from this, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter when you live. Suffering and affliction. Job losses, financial reverses, the loss of loved ones, relational di difficulties, you name it. There's not a person in here, if you're old enough to think, 
Be aware of your circumstances. Who doesn't know in this life, in one way or another, I experience affliction and suffering. Now I will say, very briefly, if you read Proverbs and Psalms, you know that some troubles, some, some forms of suffering can be minimized or avoided. If I live life wisely, if I listen to what God says is true and make decisions based on what's true, I can avoid some kinds of suffering and affliction. Psalms is resplendent with appeals to God to cut or to enter into times and periods of suffering. And God often answered. So some kinds of uh, suffering or troubles or afflictions we avoid by wise behavior and sometimes just by prayer God actually answers. But we we should be under no illusion, make no mistake, we are going to suffer affliction. Sufferings are going to be a part of our experience here life on planet earth that's the bad news there's affliction and suffering for all of us and especially for christians the good news of course is that there's also comfort and similar passage you know in james 1 james says of god that every good gift comes down from above from the father of lights every good thing you and i experience on this earth comes from god the father he's good he does good and he blesses us And just so, in this thought, God our Father is the original source of anything we can call mercy or comfort or consolation. And just turn over in your mind for just a second. What does it look like in your life to receive comfort from God? When you're down and out, when you're experiencing affliction or suffering, what does God's comfort look like? To quantify that in your mind for just a second. Someone to talk to, a shoulder to cry on. I'm a foodie, so I thought of a warm cup of coffee, soft bed, warm covers. What is God's comfort? What is His support, His mercy, His consolation look like for you in the midst of trouble? God is the source of anything that we can properly call that comfort. Now, Paul's telling them you're going to get lots of suffering, but you're also going to get actually more comfort so comfort in this passage the word or its variant occurs 10 times seven times affliction and suffering 10 times comfort comfort comes before paul talks about suffering and it follows after he talks about suffering 19 times in 11 verses in this letter paul talks about god's comfort you get the picture yes there's suffering on one hand But God's comfort superabounds or it overflows and overwhelms the suffering. So if I've got a cup full of suffering, it's as if God is a fountain and He overflows my experience of suffering with His goodness and His comfort and His consolation. Good news and bad news. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5-13. through I'll just briefly list this list. He talks about what comfort looked like in his own experience not many days before he wrote this letter. So in chapter 7, he said, God comforts the depressed, and that's what he's calling himself. I was depressed. I was brought low. And when I was, God comforted me, verse 6 in that chapter, when Titus came. When my good friend Titus came back from your church, I was comforted by Titus. I was also comforted, verse 7, because Titus himself had been comforted or encouraged from his time with you. So Titus is there, that comforts me. 
Titus also further comforts me because he was encouraged from his time with you as a church. And that had come about because in Paul's severe letter, he'd been calling the church to repentance, to a change of heart and, and attitude. And to some degree, the church had responded. And so for Paul, God's comfort was Titus showing up. And it was Titus saying, not only am I here, Paul, back with you, but he also said, I'm comforted, I'm encouraged by the response of some in the church in Corinth. So for Paul, God's comfort was Titus. It was a person. It was the church. If you've got a study sheet, I would encourage you now or later to just think and pray and write down some of the ways God comforts you. I think we sometimes miss it when God's comforting us. When he means to be showing us mercy, we're simply not aware that's what's going on. So think about it and write down some of the ways you are encouraged or given new heart, new courage, new comfort, new consolation. Think about that for the future. Make a list. Write it down. I tend to think of this passage in 2 Corinthians 1, when someone I know dies, when, when someone I know loses someone to death especially, there's no bringing that person back. You know, there's no way you can fill that void. There's a loss, there's suffering that nothing else can fill up. And yet in that context, Paul still says God's comforts are there and they're sufficient even then. Whatever's going on in life, God's comforts are meant to be part and parcel of our experience of suffering and loss, whatever that looks like. The loss of someone you know could be a number of things. I mean, go through your own mind. What does my suffering look like? What do my afflictions look like? And what do God's comforts look like? So the bad news is, in this life, we've got trouble. Suffering. Affliction. The good news is, we also have God's superabounding comfort. The last point I'll make, I hope this is life-changing for you the way it is for me. It's this, that it's not all about me. And it's not all about you, for us as individuals. Life isn't all about you, and it's not all about me. And suffering and comfort prove that in this letter this morning. Paul understands, related to his own sufferings, that he was experiencing things in his life that weren't for his benefit specifically. So he says, verse 6, Our affliction, we're afflicted, and that affliction is for your comfort. It's for your benefit, not mine. And when we get comfort, that comfort is for your comfort. So Paul says, our experience of suffering and affliction is in a sense redemptive because it's focused on the needs of others. So we experience this suffering and this affliction. God brings in His comfort. We experience that in our life. And we turn around and we pass that baton, if you will, of comfort and consolation to the next person down the road. In Paul's case, to this Corinthian church. You think of Jesus' death on the cross, it's called vicarious, it's substitutionary. Jesus dies on the cross, not because he did anything wrong, but he died for the benefit of others. And Christians are called to follow that, not in any way expiating or doing anything to cover our own sins, but we follow Jesus' model of life, which is we live a life for God and to the benefit of others. And that's what Paul's talking about here. It's not all about me. Now, which one of us in here, when we experience some new suffering, do we not say to ourselves something like this, Lord, why me? 
It's not fair. What did I do wrong? You know, the truth is, it's not about being fair. It's not about you. It's not about me all the time. This is mind-altering, the way Christians live life, and it's meant to be. I might experience great, deep suffering, loss, hurt, pain in my life simply because God wants to fill me up with this comfort so that I can turn around and do the same thing for someone else. This will change the way you see life because it's not all about me. This changes the way I see everything, and especially in the church. That God could be doing something in my life not because He's mad at me, not because I've done wrong, not because it's not about a fair thing, but because He says, Mike, I want to give you something that I know your friend or someone else in the church or someone you work with or someone you go to school with, they're going to need this and you won't know what to give them or how to give it to them unless you've come through this experience of suffering. And so I'm going to help you grow up by suffering. I'm going to give you affliction. And this is part of my plan for you because it's not all about you. You're supposed to live for me and, if you will, to the benefit of others. So Paul's saying, guys, on one hand, it's not all about me. I've suffered and I've experienced comfort because God wanted me to have those experiences to turn around and to give to you. And so when you and I suffer today, we need to get over this thing, this, this uh, mamby-pamby, whining, crying. God took away my, you know, my bottle or my blanket or, Lord, you know, why me? We've got to get over that. Paul says it's not all about me. Part of God's plan in your life and mine is that we experience affliction and suffering so that we know what God's comfort in that situation looks like so that we can turn around and we can serve someone else with that same kind of comfort and consolation. It's not all about me. I love this. It changes the way I think about other people. It calls us up to a mature outlook on life. Jesus died for my sins. He didn't die for His. What's fair about that? He suffered so I could be comforted. He died so I could live. But then we as Christians and as followers, then we're called to that model. And sometimes it means we suffer, not because we did wrong, but because it's for the benefit of someone else ultimately. So when we're going through some suffering and affliction, ask God, Lord, in this, what does your comfort look like? And Lord, who do you want me to pass that on to? How do you want me to be able to give that to others as well? You'll see this theme throughout 2 Corinthians. In chapter 5, verse 15, Paul speaking of Jesus says, He died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. This substitutionary kind of life. I'm experiencing something for someone else. Chapter 4, verse 12 Paul says, death works in us, but life in you. Death is at work in me, so you can experience life. And in chapter 8 and 9, this is the longest exposition in the New Testament on giving. And the context is, the Christians in Jerusalem are suffering, and their comfort is going to come from you Gentiles in Macedonia, giving to them out of your abundance. This same theme carries on throughout this letter. This, these links in a chain, these, this thought that we're a conduit 
for what God wants to do in someone else's life. That God means to use us to bless others. Romans 14.7, it's a little different context, but it's, it's the sense of when I eat, when I drink, the way I live my life. Paul says we don't live for ourselves, we don't die for ourselves. It's not all about us. It's for the benefit of others. This letter reminds us over and over again that we are not autonomous. That we need what others have to give. You know, in the States, we value autonomy. We pull ourselves up. We do it ourselves, you know, especially if you're guys. We follow John Wayne, you know, whatever. Paul says, no. None of us can live or die to ourselves. None of us can get through this life and the sufferings that are going to come our way by ourselves. And guys, more often than not, the comfort God gives us is from others. If there are Christians in the church going through times of affliction and suffering without God's comfort, I venture to say there's a good chance it's because we aren't there to comfort and console. This should change the way we see our experience of affliction and suffering. Sometimes we're suffering, we know, because we've blown it. We've made bad decisions and the, the chickens are coming home to roost, that kind of thing. That aside, when we've just gone through suffering that's part of life in this world or because we've called on Christ's name and made that public, sometimes that's just God calling us up to live like Christ, to suffer on behalf of someone else's welfare, to turn around and offer them the comfort we've experienced in Christ as well. So think about it when you experience affliction and suffering next time. Look at your list. How does God want to comfort you? Receive that comfort in the suffering and affliction and then turn around and pass that on to someone else. So the bad news is there's suffering and affliction in life. The good news is God's comfort, His consolation, His mercies, they overwhelm, they overflow that cup we've experienced of suffering. And so we take our notes, we learn our lessons, we grow up a little bit, we, rem we remind ourselves it's not all about us, we take that comfort and we turn around and we pass it on. Father, thanks that you don't ask us to do anything that you didn't already do through your Son. Lord, would you help us to grow up, to put on Christ, to arm ourselves in this life we live in this flesh on the earth, to prepare us to suffer, Lord, when it seems fair or not, whether it's as a Christian or simply as those living life on this earth. Father, I thank You that You are the source of all mercy, the God of all comforts. And Lord, I ask specifically that the next time we feel the hurt, the loss of affliction or suffering, You'd help us to be quick to look to You for the comfort and then quick also, Lord, to turn around and pass that on to others in the same kind of need. In Jesus' name, Amen.